0: It wasn't my first rodeo, it wasn't my first date, but it was certainly my first really strange one. As a result of that, I actually introduced some screening processes from having learnt the hard way, I guess, which which did prove to be useful to take forward, but the reason that came about was
1: because of how that particular date played out. That was Kate. She is uh, talking about a pretty dodgy Tinder experience that will make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. But before we unpack that incident, a question, which I love doing at the start of every episode. (laughs) Have you ever been harassed, slash groped, slash touched, slash brushed, slash made to feel uncomfortable in any way in a bar? Heading out on a Saturday night, it doesn't have to come with the accidental, I'm doing air quotes here, the accidental bum brush, or a not-so-accidental drunken stalk. So perhaps the better question is, what roles should venues play in putting a stop to the kind of gross actions of some of their patrons? Yeah, in this episode, we're heading down to your local watering hole, my friends. Grab your keys, babe. and the city. Hey, hey, everyone. You are listening to Sexism and the City, a Plan International Australia podcast. They are all about equality for girls, in case you haven't realised. I'm your host, Jan Fran. Thanks so much for being here with me today. And just a heads up, uh, this episode does deal with themes of sexual harassment and assault. not hugely suitable for kids, I would say. So bear that one in mind. All right, let's go back to Kate and that Tinder date.
0: And that was a... A situation where it was a guy who I had chatted with briefly online. He was pretty clean to progress it through to a date. I didn't really have too much issue with that because I'm not into the long term to and fro. I just think you're better to just get in the same room as somebody if there's, you know, a desire to, um, and just see how that spark plays out. So it progressed to a drink. He offered to pick me up. Um, I declined his offer. I said, oh, I'll meet you there. In the way that any woman would understand when it's a person you've never met, you're not about to give them your your address. Mm. And so
1: he was a little... That would ring alarm bells for me, just a tiny bit. If somebody said, oh, I'll pick you up from your house, I would immediately feel a bit um, slightly taken aback by that. Yeah. and Not hugely, but slightly. Yeah,
0: and I, I was with you on that. Mm. Um, his initial offer wasn't aggressive. It just said to me, oh, he's slightly out of touch with how things are done in this sure. era of yep. online dating. And so I, I just kept it light and said, oh, it's it's fine, you know, no problem, I'll just be coming from work, I'll, I'll meet you there kind of thing. I didn't want to make him feel uncomfortable. If in fact, he was just being chivalrous. God forbid. So I I met him at this bar. Kate picked the venue. It was a pub down the road. Had you been there before? I had been to the venue once, I think, previously, yeah.
1: Okay, so you weren't weren't hugely familiar with it in that it wasn't necessarily your local. No, no, it
0: wasn't. Mm -hmm. But it was was the kind of venue that I felt, you know, um, comfortable attending. Uh, From the minute that I was face-to-face with him, I just felt a little bit uneasy. He had a very intensely dominating kind of mildly aggressive approach even to just small talk. Mm. And he was someone who just sort of sat that bit too close for someone you've never met before and was just very much imposing himself up- upon me to to stake his claim as the, the dominant male in the situation. And I sort of ingratiated that to a degree only because I already knew I didn't have any intention of this progressing. I just thought, well, let's just at least, we're here now, let's just enjoy a drink and then I'll, you know, after the fact politely
1: decline his future advances if they follow. Look, who hasn't been on a weird Tinder date where you get there and you immediately feel a bit of a bad vibe gone, yeah, but you figure, hey, I'll just have one drink and then I'll leave. I think that that is quite a common experience and frankly I think it cuts both ways for men and women. Kate's experience was, I would thoroughly like to think and hope, slightly more uncommon. During
0: the course of things I excused myself to go to the bathroom and as a lady does, I picked up my handbag to to take it with me. And it was just like that flicked a switch in his mind. And as I did, he sort of reached out and grabbed my wrist and just said what you know what do you think you're doing
1: did you feel freaked out at at that moment what what was sort of going through your head at that moment when he grabbed your wrist I definitely did
0: yeah and I just thought like mate this is uncalled for like who do you think you are and I'm definitely someone that can hold my own in a in a scenario like that but it did just completely catch me unawares so this sort of weird tango continued for a moment where he just continued to grip my wrist you know tighter and tighter and, and he just said I know you're not going to the bathroom because if you take your bag with you That's you telling me that you're not coming back. He thought you were going to do a runner. Yeah. And in fact, I hadn't been initially. I just wanted to go to the bathroom. Yeah, well, now (laughs) you're going
1: to do a runner. (laughs)
0: <laughs> exactly I know and I was increasingly uncomfortable and then he just sort of you know came right up to me and, and sort of standing up face to face with me like inches from my face and kind of had me pushed back into this wall so I, you know I sort of had nowhere to really go with it and at this point so he stood
1: up as well at, at this point you're, you're both sort of standing he's still got your wrist yeah and then he he pushes you up against a wall
0: Yeah. And to make sure that I stay against the wall, his other hand finds a position around my throat as he did that. And his face was centimeters from mine. Until that point, I'd kind of not really been eyeballing him because I just didn't even really want to. I just didn't actually want to look into the eyes of someone who was going to be behaving like this towards me yeah, he was just right there in my face and very much trying to assert his power over things. And I remember in the moment, I just thought like, this is the kind of guy that, you know, violently assaults women in his life. Like this is not someone I have any desire to spend a moment more time with. No,
1: no, definitely not. And it's not hard to see why. But what do you do in a situation like that when you are pinned up against the wall of a bar by a total stranger? I would scream the house down. That. That is hypothetically what I think that I would do. But luckily for Kate, it didn't even have to come to that. Fortunately, in that venue, the, the staff were
0: fairly cluey and, and on the ball, and obviously keeping an eye on the surroundings of, of the spaces. And next thing, um, two security guards came over and kind of intervened. And this was
1: without you having to do anything. They yeah. noticed it and they came over.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay. They did. Yeah. They said that, I only learnt this after the fact, but that the barman had said, eh. Guys bit odd. just keep an eye on him. Right. So the barman had kind of just
1: twigged yeah. it from his own interaction with the dude.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I guess, you know, when you work in a, in a venue like that, you get pretty cluey about, you know, who to look out for that it might cause the evening to be a bit of a headache in one way or another.
1: The staff asked him to leave. He got aggro, kind of unsurprising at this point, really. So the staff physically removed him, leaving Kate in the venue alone. And I was
0: sort of just wondering what on earth had just happened. Like, it was such a strange turn of events. You think you're just going to have a drink with someone and next thing you're getting throttled. Now, the staff walked Kate
1: to her car. At this point, she was feeling pretty sort of shaken, understandably. And to top things off, she started getting this barrage of vile, aggressive, just gross messages from him. So she went to the police
0: look, they were really good about it. And they said, look, you have got grounds to press charges for physical assault and for verbally threatening you and your life. Like that that's a legitimate case against him. You know, is that something that you want to pursue? And I was in two minds about it. I kind of just wanted to put the whole thing aside and not have to go through it again. But then I also just thought, screw it. He should be held to account for his actions. And I feel like more bad behaviour from him is only going to continue if he's not brought to justice in a way. So I thought, all right, I'm going to take one for the team so that hopefully his future dates don't have to put up with this sort of rubbish. So in the process of that, the police then um, reviewed the CCTV footage from the pub. And interestingly, in that, they also got the footage from the bar area itself where he had ordered our drinks. And let me just say at this point, I'm always pretty wary about any stranger buying me a drink and me not eyeballing that beverage from the minute it comes out of the bottle until it's in my hand. For whatever lapse of judgment, Um, and to be fair, he ordered the drinks right at the very start of things before I'd really clocked what a freak he was. But the footage actually showed that when he got our drinks from the bar, prior to bringing them back to where I was sitting in a different area of the venue, he had emptied some sort of capsule into my glass of what was already sparkling wine which was you know a perfect cover because it already was bubbling and took a moment but it was quite polished about this whole movement It, it looked well choreographed and not the first time according to the description given by the police and he then you know brought those drinks back. Holy
1: moly. According to Kay, he was known to police for other reports from women, one of whom had apparently been held captive in his house. And look, I'm not saying this to scare you or to get you to go off Tinder or anything like that. I just, I say this because, you know, short of keeping an eye glued to every single drink poured from every single bottle, which... To be fair, like, no-one should even have to do. Kate did take a number of precautions that night. You know, she declined when he suggested to pick her up. She chose the venue. She stayed calm and polite, even when kind of recognising that the date wasn't going to go anywhere and he was a bit dodgy. But sometimes people are just trash, and in this instance, the staff at this particular venue were cluey and they intervened, which begs the question... How can we get more stuff like this in more pubs?
2: Back in my day, I suppose you used to, uh, you know, go to a pub or go to a nightclub, the lights were down, the music was up, and you still managed to meet someone in those scenarios.
1: That was John Green. He is the Director of Liquor and Policing with the Australian Hotels Association, the AHA, in New South Wales. What happened to the good old days?
2: John? Exactly, exactly. We still managed then. Well, nowadays people are looking to these social dating apps and that's where they're getting the people that they're going out with. And sometimes I suppose the issue is that those people aren't who they say they are. They're not the height that they are in their profile photo. They they don't have that same background. And that's been one of the concerns that, uh, that New South Wales Police have actually shared as well, that some of those first dates don't go right.
1: So what John's referring to here is a thing called catfishing, Uh, If you don't know what that is, that's when somebody uses a photo on Tinder slash Bumble slash whatever, and you rock up to find that your cute date, not so cute, and is just kind of like an old dude in his 70s or something. He's used a completely different photo. The term comes from a documentary in 2010 called Catfish, where an online friendship between a young woman and a filmmaker, well, you know, it leads to some rather unexpected identities. Anyway, back to John.
2: Licensed premises are probably the the predominant location that people will go out on a first date. They're not likely to go to a a McDonald's or something, I suppose, Well, I bloody hope not. Yeah. (laughs) But we find that those first dates often will be at a licensed venue, be it a pub or a restaurant. We want to promote that our venues are exactly what they are. They're safe places to go. So if you're going out on a first date, why not go to a licensed premises where someone's watching you, someone's got your back covered?
1: And this is where the Ask for Angela campaign comes in. So Ask for Angela is a campaign that started in Lincolnshire in the UK around two years ago. The program is basically this. You feel unsafe or threatened in a bar, pub, club, whatever, you can walk up to the bar or a staff member and ask for Angela. Like, literally, you say something like, is Angela here or I would like to talk to Angela? And the staff should know exactly what you mean by that and they will assist you, right? That's the theory of the campaign. In Australia, it's recently been launched by John's team at the AHA in conjunction with New South Wales Police and the city of Sydney. And it's also being trialled in places like Wagga Wagga, Albury, Orange and Byron Bay. So these are regional places in New South Wales.
2: You ask for Angela and hopefully if she's not working that night, the staff that are aware of the program, and that's one of the key factors here, that they are aware if someone comes up. And it means that staff can do a number of things. They can merely monitor the patron activity. If it's a little bit more heavy than that, they can actually assist whoever's asked for Angela, be it male or female, be it whatever uh, whoever is in that scenario, they can then escort them maybe to a, a back of house area, staff area, safe area, or assist them in in leaving the venue, either with family or friends or an Uber or a taxi mm-hmm. uh, away from the venue. Or in those extreme circumstances, which are very rare, they can either have security or they can contact the police. Mm. The other person, the person that's been the subject of the uh, patron asking for Angela, hasn't actually done anything that's an offence. It might just be that they've been less than honest in their profile. So they they may be allowed to stay in the venue.
1: But what if there's a bar person named Angela? It, uh,
2: <laughs> it it can happen and it was. it's based on from the United Kingdom, it's based on Angel and we have had that scenario exactly. I had dinner with my niece last night and her name is Angela and uh, we were talking about this exact program.
1: Now, the Ask for Angela campaign has its critics, right? The main criticism of it is that it's kind of unnecessary. Like, wouldn't you just go up to the staff at a bar and ask for help without having to use a code word? Isn't that kind of the same thing? The second criticism is that it's just this feel-good, easy campaign that actually does very little to address the epidemic of violence against women. And look, I tend to think both of those criticisms are valid. Now, I've personally never used Ask for Angela before, fortunately, because I've never had to. But I must say that if, if I knew that a venue was on board with the program, I think I would feel more comfortable sort of just knowing that they are aware and that they know that they have a particular responsibility to their patrons and female patrons in particular. Like, even if the program never gets used, I kind of like knowing that it's there. Does that make sense? I'm not sure that's enough to justify its public funding, though. Um, so, I was kind of curious about what other women made of it. So, luckily, I have a producer, Kayla. She's very good. She gets out of the office. I sent Kayla out with our audio engineer, Gavin, to kind of just get their vibe on all of this and just see what they make of it.
3: I like the sound of it, but I feel like I'd always, if I ever needed to use it, I'd be scared they would just be like, who's Angela? And then I'd kind of, it would become like less <laughs> subtle. Than, but I do think it's a, like, it's a really good idea. And if everyone knew about it, I think it would be, yeah, really well used. But it depends on what kind of harassment I'm getting. Definitely. And if the harassment is big, definitely if I cannot handle by myself, I would definitely go and ask for help. But if the harassment is just a feeling that I get from him, just a wipe i try to solve by myself what i like about it is it kind of like levels everything out and it kind of creates this idea that anything is valid to want help it's not like going oh hey this guy's standing a bit too close or he's touching me or he's you know anything it doesn't kind of create those levels where someone has the right to say hey that's not something that should make you uncomfortable it's just like if you ask for angela clearly you're not feeling safe and you're not feeling comfortable and we're not gonna judge you on that we're just gonna help you The thing that worries me is that it's not everywhere, so, like, then I would sort of be like, oh, like, is that
4: going to work here? I'm not too sure. So you wouldn't feel comfortable using it because unless you'd literally seen a sign at that bar knowing that they had trained the staff we asked for Angela, you don't know whether they would know the code word and be able to support you. Like,
3: one thing I always worry about is being, like, further questioned about it. Like, maybe if I'm just thinking that they won't believe me yeah I don't know I feel like I would use it if I saw like a sign that said like Angela or some or something I'd be, okay like clearly this place is like doing this thing but otherwise I probably wouldn't ask mm. yeah
4: it almost sounds like you both got the same concern about being judged and being treated seriously when you're reporting various forms of uncomfortable experiences and If venues wanted to make their spaces a little bit safer for women or anybody for that matter, what are some of the steps that you think that they could practically do?
3: I think something like the Ask for Angela campaign, it's sort of partially it's that, you know, they're training staff to deal with these things and then they're promoting it. And I think those two things, kind of making sure that there's staff that are equipped to deal with it, but then making sure that people who attend the venue are aware. So things like having things in the bathroom so that you you just kind of go, Okay, I'll be taken seriously. And even kind of promoting it, wider than that you know just having like a few posters up in the venue or something so that guys see it as well and kind of go okay maybe this behavior actually won't be tolerated here because I think it's just such an it's such a normal thing and that's part of the problem when we're talking about not being believed or taken seriously because it's almost like when you go out for a drink that's a sacrifice you make it's kind of seen as like the tax you pay for being a female and going out for a drink so I think they need to take a responsibility the venues to sort of actually make a public stance and say we understand this is a problem and we're doing something to try to prevent it sounds really stupid but just like saying hi as you walk in and like the bar staff like actually having a bit of rapport with people like obviously that's not always possible but um like when I walked up to the first floor like three people asked me how I was and like where like what I was doing like where I was going and things like that and just that like makes the people who work there more approachable and you know that you could talk to them and that they have your back, I think, um, having posters up and even just sometimes seeing, like, you know, like the rainbow or the trans flag, like, stickers in places and things like that, like, you know, that they have inclusivity in mind. The girls are at a Melbourne venue called Glamp, where
1: Ask Angela actually hasn't been rolled out yet. We spoke with the venue manager, Astra, about what sort of steps they take to make the place safe from dodgy
5: drunkenness without the campaign. I think the number one thing with venues is to educate staff. Um, That's something that we've always been big believers of. So we actually have a house policy. It's written on our our front door. Um, One of the things is to be respectful. If we feel that there are patrons within the venue that are really crossing those lines, look we're lenient you know people are out having fun with their friends and stuff like that but if it's to the point where other patrons or staff themselves are getting uncomfortable managers do intervene we want it to be a safe place and for women and, and men alike to feel safe and um that we try and get people our sort of our bartenders and our floor staff on board that we would be recognizing these things before they become an issue um so whether that's cutting people off before they've had too much, you know, Um, or whether it's seeing that there is someone who's being a bit of a a nuisance to females within the venue or something like that. That's something that we are constantly keeping an eye on. We always want to be proactive, not reactive, I think. So
1: staff should be cluey, so to speak, and keep an eye out for their patrons. Makes total sense. I'm keen to hear what the experts think of the Ask for Angela campaign, though. Is it a good idea?
4: Yeah, it's a good question and it's a really difficult one to answer because none of those campaigns have actually been evaluated.
1: That was criminology expert Dr. Bianca Philiborn.
4: We don't actually know what impact they're having in practice. I've been involved in some research um, that looked at Sexual violence and sexual harassment in licensed venues, and again, we know that it's a really common experience, particularly for women, but also for LGBT people. Um, it was something that could be incredibly difficult for um, for people to report to venue staff. You know, maybe you've got your sexy. Saturday night outfit on. Um, It's a context where people feel like they'll be blamed if they say anything, you know, so look at what you're wearing or look at how much you've had to drink or that they just wouldn't be taken seriously. So I think campaigns like Ask for Angela are really important in that they're saying to patrons and, and to women in particular in these venues that actually, yes, you can come and Say something to the staff, we're going to take you seriously, we're going to believe you and we're going to to do something about what's happening to make you feel safer. I think that's really powerful.
1: I tend to agree that this is where the strength of the campaign is. You know, it sort of creates this club where everyone is of the same understanding. You know, if you ask for Angela, there's sort of this instant camaraderie where everyone knows what's going on. And you, you know, you're not gonna be asked the details of the backstory, you're not gonna be judged, you're not gonna be treated with suspicion. I think folks won't look immediately at what you're wearing or what you've had to drink. You know, I think their instant kind of reaction is to believe you and then sort of do something about it. And I think the, the staff are trained to support you in finding a solution essentially to the situation. But I think ultimately whether it takes a campaign like Ask for Angela or just some gosh dang decent common sense venue staff i think need to be cluey about the safety of their patrons a little bit more i don't know that's my two cents what what do you guys think if you have any thoughts on this episode and you want to let me know please head to my facebook page jan fran on facebook or You can find out more about Plan International's work via their website, which is plan.org.au forward slash podcast. If this episode has triggered anything for you and you'd like to speak to a counsellor, you can call 1-800-RESPECT. Sexism and the City is by Plan International Australia. It's hosted by me, Jan Fran. The series is produced by Kayla Robertson, Associate Producer Gavin Neighbour. It's mixed by Gavin Neighbour at the Hallwood Recording Studio at the University of Melbourne. Research is by Andrea cano Botero and Madeline Spencer. Artwork is by Donna Kelly. Theme music by Paul Greenstein. Have a great day,
3: everyone.